Good morning, church. Is anyone about that cold weather? Okay. Are we for it? Hands for it. Hands for it. Hands against it. Hands against it. Hands against it. Okay. This is a true story and I didn't tell it last time. I just remembered it. Two weeks ago on a Wednesday night in the sanctuary, I had someone from our church come up to me and say, Bryce, I got a big prayer request. And he was being serious. So I thought, and I said, yes, anything. I'll join you in prayer. What is it? He said, I need you to pray desperately that the hot weather comes back. And I said, that is amazing. I will pray against it. Okay. I'm going to pray against that. So let's go. My name is Bryce. I am our evangelism and outreach pastor. I had a recent title change and I'm excited about this new role that I'm in. Um, I also, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I also want to tell you that I'm debuting my Steve Harvey suit today. Um, I was told that this was my Steve Harvey suit. I don't watch Family Feud enough to know whether or not he owns this, uh, but it's a very, it's, it's a very small suit. Uh, one day I'm not going to be able to fit in it, but I'm going to maximize my time while I can. Um, I can tell you where to get it if you want one. I bought this for $60, believe it or not, $60 from Great Britain, and it was on sale, okay, which means nobody wanted it. So I said, yes, I'll buy three. Are you serious? Amazing. Okay, I had nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, we're, we're in this sermon series called On the Move. And last week, Grace Marie was here and she started her whole message with a pickleball analogy, okay? And I wanted to keep the trend going of a sport analogy to get us in. So on the screen in just a moment, you're gonna see a picture of younger Bryce playing the greatest sport ever created. And that is soccer. Now this picture was taken uh, much younger, obviously. It was right here in Lexington. That's the Gibson Road Soccer Complex where I grew up playing at. This was probably taken right before I scored like 14 goals in that game. Okay, I'm kidding. Uh, but, uh, but I was reminiscing this past week. I was reminiscing this past week on the different stages of life, the different seasons of life that I had playing soccer. You know, that was back maybe elementary school, middle school, came, still played soccer, high school, played for the high school, Lexington, but then played in college as well. And so I was, I was looking back on all these different seasons of life and soccer seasons even, and I was thinking to myself, you know, the big thing that soccer taught me was that anything good, whether it be on the field or just in life, usually happens in a team, usually happens with a team rather than just an individual or a group of individuals, if you will. And this whole sermon series, we've been talking about a team that Jesus has assembled, a team that he began to assemble while he was here on earth. He continued to assemble prior to his ascension back into heaven where he currently is, and I believe right now he's still in the business of assembling a team that would take the gospel to, as he would say, the ends of the earth, Acts 1-8. It's been the theme of this series and one of the crucial team members that we've chatted about a little bit and we're gonna continue to chat about today is this guy, Paul. Now we heard about Paul a few weeks ago. Pastor Jeff was right here on this stage and he referenced Saul, which was Paul's first name, in a crazy encounter that he had with Jesus. You see, this was a guy before becoming a follower of Jesus, he was a guy who persecuted the people of God. He was a guy who wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He wanted to extinguish the gospel message from the face of the earth, if possible. That was his big goal in life. And we read this verse, the words of Jesus that were said to him in this amazing encounter on the Damascus Road. If you were here a couple weeks ago, this will be familiar. Acts 9, verse 4. This is what Jesus says. Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? You see, in this one moment, what Jesus does is he makes it personal for Saul. Why do you persecute me? You see, because in persecuting God's people, 
Saul was persecuting God himself, Jesus Christ. In rejecting God's people, Paul was in doing so rejecting Jesus himself. This morning, moving on from a discussion last week about persecution, I want to chat with you for a few moments about another concept that we see present in the book of Acts, and that is rejection. Specifically, I want to talk about two reasons for rejection. The reason I want to do this is, is very simple, and that's because I believe that there are two groups of people here today. The first group of people, maybe you find yourself in a position to where you have someone in your life, someone that you love, someone that you've been praying desperately would come to know the same Jesus that you know and come to follow Jesus and have their life radically changed forever. And you've been praying for them for years and years and years and years. You've invited them to church. You tried to quote Bible verses to them. You've shared the gospel message with them. You've tried everything in the book you can think of, and they're still turning their backs on Jesus and his message. But maybe there's a second group of people here today, and maybe there's a group of folks here today who, if you're honest with yourself, though you have been playing the church game, though you know the stories and you can quote the Bible verses, in your heart, you've been rejecting Jesus. You've turned your back on him. You haven't wanted a true relationship with him. So today, really what I want to do is highlight two stories, tell you two stories from the book of Acts that both include Paul, but also include these two guys that were high in power at the time in the region of the community that Paul was in that both reject Jesus in different ways. And I believe they highlight for us the big ways in which we find folks rejecting Jesus every single day. I believe God is not done. God wants to do something new. God wants to bring people to himself. I believe he'll use us to do it. If you have a Bible with you, I want to tell you where we're going and you can join me in turning. We're going to stay in the book of Acts, but we're going to go to chapter 24. Chapter 24 of the book of Acts. And then a little later, we're going to go to chapter 26 in the book of Acts as well. At this time in chapter 24 of Acts, we find Paul in chains. You see, he is in chains for preaching the good news, for preaching the gospel. He's talking about a message that not everyone is a fan of. He's been transferred multiple times. He's been put on trial on multiple occasions, and now he finds himself accused of starting riots because of this message he believes and preaches, and now on trial before a governor named Felix. Now, this governor Felix was over the regions of Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and Perea. He had much power at this point in time, and now the fate of Paul's future seems to rest on the shoulders of this governor Felix. And we learn about him starting in verse 24 of chapter 24. The words will be on the screen as well. You can read along with me. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which is what I will name my first child because of how cool that is. That's not in there. Who was Jewish? He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, 
and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. That's enough for now. You may leave, Paul. And when I find it convenient, I will send for you. You see, the first rejection that we see right here in this story is a rejection out of inconvenience. A rejection out of inconvenience. And I still believe that there are many rejecting Jesus Christ today for the same exact reason. You see, Felix demonstrates for us one out of two responses to conviction. This is a word that maybe you've heard before. It, it references when the Holy Spirit points something out inside of our lives, inside of our hearts and our minds that needs to change. Because the way that we're doing things is not the best way to be doing things, the Bible would say. What he decides to do, Felix decides to do in response to this conviction he felt after hearing about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come, is he decides to run from it rather than press into it. Because conviction often will make us uncomfortable. But if you have been following Jesus for a little while now, you know that the faith you signed up for often requires us to be uncomfortable. And that's probably why Jesus says very, very clearly, before you follow me, you need to count the cost. Because it's going to cost you something. You see, Felix, the governor, seems like he didn't really want anything to change in his life. He did not want a disruption to his current rhythm of life. He was comfortable just as it was. And he was not willing to give up his own way of doing things so that instead he might do things God's way. He was completely fine and comfortable living his life as he had up until this point. Even though, as we know in this room, the greatest message and the greatest decision he could ever make was on a silver platter right in front of him. Paul had shared with him the good news of the gospel. It was there for him to, him to accept, and instead he rejected it because he saw it as an inconvenience. He didn't want anything to change. There is a certain type of phone that I like to call a flip phone. Maybe you've heard of it before. Does anyone still have a flip phone? Okay, awesome. So we're all on the same page. First service, a lot of hands went up, a lot of hands. Um, and I felt kind of bad, but it's okay. I remember the day, and again, this was when I was much younger, but I remember the days right around the time when like the first iPhone came out. So at this time, I had a flip phone for a, a little while there, and it, it did everything I needed it to do, right? Many of you in this room probably had a flip phone at some point in the past, and it was very convenient, right? My favorite thing about the flip phone in particular was the fact that it is absolutely, positively, there, there's no way it can be broken. It is absolutely indestructible. There's no way it can be broken. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but you could go to Columbia Metropolitan Airport when we're done if you want, and you could lay that flip phone down on the runway, and you could run it over with a Boeing, and you'd still be hearing it ring. I guarantee you. That thing is indestructible. However, then comes the iPhone. It's introduced, right? I still remember the day that Apple made this big thing out of it and introduced this new phone with a touchscreen now, and it's like crazy on the market. There were many people around me who were excited about it. But at the same time, there were probably even more people around me, family, friends, who were not about this thing. Said, well, I, I don't know why I would have to learn a whole new operating system. That's not gonna be easy. You tell me I gotta download all these apps it's probably going to listen to everything I say. 
which is kind of true. I'm perfectly fine with my flip phone. And now all these years later, many of us in this room have an iPhone or who has an iPhone? Just raise your hand. Who has an iPhone? Praise God. That's awesome. Um, Would there be anyone bold enough that has an Android to, to raise your hand? Okay. Okay. Man. At the first service, uh, my, my dad is here in this service. At the first service, I asked you to pray for my dad because he has a Samsung Galaxy and I've been trying to talk him out of it for so long. That's besides the point. We all have a smartphone now because we have come to understand that actually upon learning and taking that step to get a smartphone, it actually makes our life even more convenient. No longer do I have to call someone three times and then leave a voicemail that sounds muffled. Now I can simply text that person. It's convenience, though at first it may have looked to be an inconvenience. And in a similar light, Felix has the opportunity to step into something, namely faith in Jesus Christ, that would have been the greatest decision that he would have ever made in his life. And yet he rejects the gospel. He rejects Jesus himself because he sees it as an inconvenience to his current rhythm. And chances are there are people in our lives right now, the names of which are running through our heads or on our hearts that are doing the exact same thing. We've prayed for them. We've talked with them countless times about the gospel. We've quoted a lot of this book at them, and yet nothing has changed. Paul experiences a rejection of inconvenience because Felix didn't want anything to change. And because of that, the Bible says that Felix got rid of Paul. He was tired of listening to this message. And he says, I'll send for you again when it's convenient. In fact, the Bible goes on to make it clear that Felix sends for Paul and listens to his spiel about Jesus over and over and over and over and over again with the same rhythm. Come, I'll listen to you, Paul. Paul shares, and then Paul, I don't, I don't want to say more. That same rhythm repeats itself over and over and over again. And that is because Felix is delaying the inevitable. He is consistently rejecting the gospel message. And that is why it is important for us to understand that delayed rejection is still rejection. Delayed rejection is still rejection. When I was at CIU, Columbia International University, Bible college, locally, incredible place. Much of our staff went there as well. There was this really hot topic question that everybody wanted to wrestle with and I frankly did not want to wrestle with. And this was the question that went around the student body. Does someone go to heaven if they wait until their very last breath to accept Jesus? Now, I had some friends who were on one side, like, I will die on this hill. The answer is yes, okay? I had some other friends who were like, I will die on this hill. The answer is definitely no. And I found myself somewhere in the middle because I like to keep the peace in those situations, okay? Well, as I was wrestling with it more and more, I came across this verse that I think answers this question really, really well. And it speaks to the rejection, that delayed rejection that we see in Felix's life. These are the words of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. This is what the Bible says. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You see, Felix wanted to delay this process as long as possible. And maybe there's someone in our life right now who is seeking to delay their true response as long as possible to the message of Christ. Or maybe instead there is someone here today, today, right here, in this room, online, someone, 
who, if you're honest with yourself, you have been rejecting Jesus Christ. You've been turning your back on a relationship with him. And Paul communicates clearly through his entire ministry the words of 2 Corinthians 6 that we just read. That today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. That's not promised. Yesterday is already behind us. Today is the day that everything can change for you. Today is the day of salvation. The rejection that Paul experiences does not get him fed up. It doesn't get him angry. It allows him to continue moving forward in patient persistence until he is then in a different scenario. You see, Paul first talks with Felix and he doesn't get fed up when Felix calls for him, gets rid of him, and then eventually rejects his message. He is then transferred to King Agrippa. And King Agrippa shows us just a few chapters later that rejection may not always flow out of a place of inconvenience. It might flow out of a place of pride pride. I wonder how many people we know right now that don't want to follow Jesus because of that one word, pride. Pride. It's something the Bible talks a lot about. And in chapter 26, we read a different type of rejection. Maybe this one resonates with you or someone you know. At this point in time, Paul is still in change. It is at least two years later since the first story we read, and nothing has changed for Paul, at least. He is still on trial for preaching the gospel. And as I said, two years has passed, and now he finds himself before a man named King Agrippa. Now, I want to give you the Ancestry.com of King Agrippa, if I could. This was a man whose great-grandfather tried to kill Jesus as a baby. Okay, we're not starting off great. A man whose grandfather had John the Baptist beheaded a man whose father had killed the apostle James and therefore this King Agrippa knew all the stories. He's standing before a man who is preaching the good news of another man, Jesus, who he knows all about. He knows about the stories of the miracles. He knows about the feeding of the 5,000, 4,000, all these stories that maybe we've heard before. He knows the rumors, if you will, about Jesus that are going around at the time. And yet now Paul is on trial before this man and does not shy away from telling him the truth about Jesus so that he too can make a decision. Will he accept or will he reject? Starting in verse 20 of chapter 26 in the book of Acts, this is what Paul says. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. 
I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner somewhere. And then he makes it really, 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 really personal for the king. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Paul makes it personal for the king. And he makes it personal for the king because this is a moment of decision in a very short window of time for a man with a lot of power, the king. It reminds me of another scene in the Bible when Jesus is on earth and he's doing his thing, he's doing ministry, he's working miracles, and he sits down with his disciples, something that he does quite often. And maybe you remember this scene when they're sitting around and chatting with each other, probably debriefing the day they had had, and Jesus looks at them very casually and says, who are people saying that I am? And some of the disciples respond, well, we've heard some people say that you're John the Baptist. We've heard some people say that you're Elijah, something that the prophets talked about, a lot of Old Testament references maybe. And then he pauses the whole conversation and he says as directly as possible, he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter speaks up. And Peter gives that famous declaration, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. You see, that is the same question worded differently that Paul is asking to the king out of all people, the king in this moment. While he's in chains because of preaching the gospel, he invites the king into a moment of decision that could forever change his life. Who do you say that I am? King Agrippa, do you believe that everything the prophets said has come true? You know all the stories, but do you believe it in your heart? You see, I, I personally can think to myself anytime I want, I love my parents, and that's a true statement. But it becomes an even greater statement when that intellectual inclination is backed up by a heart posture that leads me into action to prove it. And in this very moment, the king of all people has a decision to make. And I believe that his rejection of the gospel and his rejection of Jesus comes from a place of pride. This is his response. In verse 28, King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. One of the saddest words in the whole Bible is that word almost. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. You see, I believe and people smarter than me, scholars believe that King Agrippa was quite close to hearing the words and the testimony of Paul pairing that with the stories that he had known and heard all his life about Jesus and actually giving his heart to him. And yet the thing holding him back was pride. Because for us and for the king, pride is blinding. Pride is blinding. It blinds us from that which is right in front of us. The decision that is on a silver platter that we can take and apply to our life and accept for ourselves and everything changes. It was right there. And the king decided to reject. You see, he was sitting on a physical throne, but he was not willing to move himself spiritually off of the throne of his life, the throne of his heart, so that Jesus could sit there instead. And I wonder if that's somebody's story today. Maybe just one. That if you had to sum up the game that you'd been playing with Jesus, that would be it. 
that you're still the one sitting on the throne of your heart. You're still the one calling the shots. You've basically just asked God to bless your own plans and your own life rather than having a true relationship where Jesus is in complete control. Or maybe there's somebody that you know personally that that's their story. And you feel like maybe that you're losing hope because you feel as if there's never going to come a point where they just accept the good news for themselves. When reading this story, we have to wonder, why is it that the king, who was so close to making a decision, was not able to? Out of a place of pride, I believe it has to do with the people that were around. You had the governor Festus at the time, who had brought Paul before the king, who was a man of power himself, and Agrippa had to be thinking to himself, if this man Festus just called Paul crazy for the message he was preaching, what is it going to look like to him if I accept him? But then you have a guy like Paul, a man in chains, in bondage, on trial, under the control and oversight of the king. If he is in chains for accepting and believing and preaching the gospel, I certainly don't want to end up there. I'm a powerful man. I'm the king. An important man like me can't be doing that. It was pride that got in Agrippa's way and caused him to once again reject Jesus. They're sad stories of people who turn their backs on the God who loves them. But there's a common thread in both Felix and in the king, Agrippa, and that is that they had a selfish, selfish posture, and they were in positions of power. The reality with the gospel is that when we decide, anyone, when anyone decides, regardless of their status, regardless of their title, regardless of their past, when anyone decides to follow Jesus and make him the Lord of their life, that means two things. Number one, it means that Jesus now sits on the throne of their heart and life. And number two, it means that they elevate someone else above their own name. They elevate the name of Jesus above their own. And their actions their words, their thoughts, their everything reflects that decision. It was a decision that neither one of these men were willing to make. But there are some things that we can learn from Paul as we journey alongside people in our lives who maybe sound quite familiar to some of the stories we've read today as we journey alongside that person who we've been praying for for a while, we've been walking alongside for a while, there are some things we can learn from Paul. And that is that patient persistence is required for those who reject Christ. You see, Paul was very patient. Two years had passed between the first story we talked about and the second, and nothing had changed physically for Paul. And yet we see evidence that his faith was stronger than ever. And he didn't shy away from talking about that which has changed his life forever. He was patient, but he was also persistent. He kept on sharing his own story. He kept on sharing how the gospel had transformed his life. And after all of his talking, after all of the rejection had taken place in these two stories, this is his response in verse 29 of 26, chapter 26. He says, I pray to God 
that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. After rejection, after rejection, after rejection, after rejection, after rejection, Paul's conclusion is to resort to prayer once again and continue the movement of the good news forward for all those that would hear it and choose to accept it. If you feel as if recently all hope has been lost for that person who you're thinking of right now to accept Jesus, if you feel like all hope is lost, I wanna give you a statement to hold on to that I believe is completely true. It's backed up by Paul. It's backed up by every apostle you could read. It's backed up by Jesus. This is the truth. Anyone can argue with intellect. Anyone, if they really wanted to, could figure out an argument to combat this book, even though we would say it isn't valid. They could find a way intellectually to combat what the good news says. But no one that I have come across can argue with a transformed life. No one. What I mean by that is that maybe the person you've been walking alongside and you've been praying for, you've been asking God, would you allow that person to no longer have a hardened heart, but they would come to know you personally? Maybe instead of hearing the Bible verses, they need to hear, this is who I was. Then I met Jesus Christ personally, and now I'm never gonna be the same. Maybe that's the story the transformational story that points to the transformational message of the gospel that they need to hear. That's why this common quote that we've said many times from this stage exists and is true from St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel of all times, at all times. Use words if necessary. Preach the gospel with your life. The one thing that no person that Paul came across in the book of Acts during his whole ministry could reject is that the man standing before me in bondage and in chains has a greater faith than anyone I've ever encountered and has more joy than I have myself. No one could refute the fact that this man who once was persecutor and extinguisher of God's message was now willing to die for it. No one could refute that. People need to hear our transformation stories because you can't argue with a changed life, a transformed life. I remember when it changed for me. I was at First Baptist Church in Lexington. I attended here regularly. I did all the right things. I knew all the right Bible verses. I could quote you all the good stuff, some of these stories. And yet I knew behind closed doors, there were some things that needed to change, but I wasn't willing to make that change. I was perfectly fine with how it was, perfectly fine. And then I got out of my comfort zone. I was invited by a couple friends to First Baptist Church in Lexington, Brett Fenstermaker, who was just here leading worship. He was leading worship that night at First Baptist. We were both in high school at the time at Lexington. I was a junior in high school, and I will never forget Brooks Anderson, the youth pastor, and the message that he preached about a story that I'd never heard in the gospel. How apparently there was this time on the back end of Jesus's time on earth where he was on a platform just like this before a crowd just like this and he was being condemned to death by all of his accusers though we know that he never fell short, he never sinned, he, he didn't do anything wrong. 
And next to Jesus was a man named Pilate who had complete control and authority over all that would happen next. And on the other side of Pilate, there was a prisoner I'd never heard of before. His name was Barabbas. And in this moment, Pilate said to the whole crowd, as he looked out, he said, I will release one of these men to you and you get to choose who it will be. We have on one side of me, a man who I've been chatting with him. I don't know what he's done wrong. He seems innocent. And then on the other side of me, I have a man who is a murderer, a thief, a man who clearly deserves to be punished for his crimes. Who do you want? And the crowd in unison, I will never forget, the crowd in unison shouting for Barabbas to be unchained from his shackles and to walk down from the podium that he was on and join his community again, though he was clearly guilty. And for the first time in my entire life, it became clear to me who in this story I was most like. It wasn't Jesus. It was the man who was condemned to death rightfully, who had been set free and allowed to go free for the rest of his life. Now in that story, scholars believe that Barabbas would walk down and he would never give his life to Jesus. He would never accept that free gift. But on that evening, that Wednesday night in particular, when I was a junior in high school across town, I knew I had an opportunity that I was not willing to miss. And I figured out for the first time, I'd been rejecting Jesus behind closed doors, though I've been convincing folks that I'm for him out in public. And everything changed. I'll never forget that moment. And chances are you, you have a moment just like that. You look back on. And let me tell you, the, the thing that will change someone else's story is someone else's story. It will. God gives it to us uniquely for a reason. I believe that he is, he is still in the business of seeking and saving those who are lost, whom he loves, that are in our life right now, who have rejected him more times than we can count. Or maybe like I said, that's you. That's you. You've been rejecting, you've been turning your back. Today is the day of salvation and I believe it can be. I believe it will be. Regardless of where you've been, Regardless of how many times you feel like you've been one of these governors or these kings and you've turned your back on Jesus, you've wanted nothing to do with them. Regardless of how many times, he's still here to welcome you. I know that firsthand. I experienced it. I've never been the same since. So what I wanna do in just a moment is I want to pray. And then I'm gonna invite you to stand in a moment. And the worship team's gonna lead us in one final song. But I wanna invite you to do something bold that maybe you've, you've never done before, and that is to right here at these kneeling benches up front that we have, we use them for our prayer time early in the service. I want you to be bold enough to come forward and get on two knees. Maybe this is uncomfortable. Maybe you've never done this before, this posture of submission and surrender on two knees right here at the front and ask God to send you to that person that has been rejecting day after day the message of Christ with a newfound hope and a newfound passion and desire to share your story with them. Would you be bold enough to come pray for that person? Everybody's gonna be looking, by the way, as you get up and walk down here. And I also wanna invite you, if you're here today and you feel like I've, I've been rejecting Jesus, like that's me, I know who I am in these stories. 
I want you to be bold enough to come down here and ask God to forgive you of all that because I promise you he'll do it. He'll do it right now. Today is the day of salvation. I'll be around after the service. Michael will be around after the service. We'd love to chat with you about any decision, but for right here, right now, please do not miss this moment. Please do not miss this moment. Let's pray. Father, we desperately want you. We want nothing else but you. We thank you that you've met us here today. We thank you that we have worshiped you in spirit and in truth. And we want you to come intercede in our lives and we want you to intercede in the lives of those we love that have rejected you. Father, we're thinking of that name right now. A family member, a friend, someone that you've put in our path so that they may hear the good news in a way they can understand. I pray that today would be a day of salvation. You give us the boldness, the courage, the passion to share our own transformation story that no one can take away from us because we've been forever changed. We pray that would be the reality in the life of the one we love. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your sacrificial love on the cross. It's our hope and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.